This morning's scripture reading comes from John chapter 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, uh, so much for these stories that we've read over the past couple of weeks about when you were here on this earth, when you took on skin and became one of us. Father, we pray that you would help us to see the true message of Jesus Christ, not the the things that sometimes distract us about him, but the true message, and that is the gospel. Father, it's a message that we need to hear. It's a message we need to hear over and over again because the tendency of our heart is to continue to forget it. So, Father, open our eyes to help us to see the beauty of Jesus again here this morning and to see the greatness of the gospel. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the the Lenten season really wraps up this week. This is the end of this season that we call Lent. And if you've been with us over the past couple weeks, you'll know that that during the, the Lenten season, what we've done is we've gone back to the stories of Jesus Christ. We've gone back and, and focused in on the miracles that he performed when he was here on this earth. We looked at the story where uh, he multiplied bread to feed 5,000 people. We looked at the story where he was at a wedding feast and turned water into an absolute abundance of wine. We saw last week where he healed a demon-possessed man and, and cast the demons into a herd of pigs that then rushed off a cliff and drowned themselves. We've seen the story about how he raised a man from the dead. He raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. But there are so many more stories all throughout the Gospels. And one of my favorite hands-down verses in all the scriptures is the very last verse that comes in John's gospel. And I'm going to read it to you now. He says this, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You see, we have small stories about things that Jesus did, but there was so much more that he did, so many more lives that he touched, so many more miracles that he performed all throughout the gospel story. And I look forward to eternity about reading all those books about the acts that Jesus did in his time here on this earth. But now we've reached the end. We've reached the stories of this last week of his life. The Pharisees or his enemies have now decided in their own hearts that Jesus must die. He cannot live any longer on this earth. So they begin to plot. They begin to do all the things that they need to do 
in order to bring an end to the life of Jesus. And so we've reached the beginning of what many have called this Passion Week, this last week of Jesus' life. You know, we've all watched the news this week, and, and we've seen the, the tragic story of the, the German Wings airplane that, that crashed into the Alps. And whenever we see stories like this, we just cringe. We can't imagine what it would be like to go through that. And then we always hear stories about uh, the voice recorders that thankfully they don't make public. At least I don't think they do. But those voice recorders that record the last few words uh, of the pilots and the co-pilots and, and the people as they realize that their lives are about to end. Well, in some ways, that's what we get in the Gospels when we look at the Passion Week we look at the very last events of Jesus' life. We look at the very last words, the very last things that he left with his disciples before the end of his life. But really, that last week starts with what we just read. We, it starts with this, this Palm Sunday event. And this morning, what I'd like to do as we look at this story is look at three things about this Palm Story event uh, that help us to see things about the nature of life, about the nature of Jesus, and what it means to be a follower of Him. The first thing we observe is that the crowd misunderstands Jesus. We see the misunderstanding of the crowd. The second thing we see is the makeup of the kingdom, and then finally we'll see that this passage has a lot to say about the mind of Christ in his last week. But the first thing that we see is the misunderstanding of the crowd. I was reminded of that this week. This week, um, well, if you, don't, if you know me at all, you've known that my whole life I've had one specific dream. I've always wanted a dog. I didn't grow up with a dog. And I've always wanted a dog for my, for my entire life, for as long as I can remember. And when I think about the dog, I think very idealistically about dogs. I think of going to the park and playing frisbee and catch for hours. I think of, of long walks uh, where we have conversations with one another. You know, I think of... I think of, you know, after our long walks, we, we come in the house and the dog puts his, 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 uh, his head in my lap and sleeps while I sip coffee and drink and read novels, right? These are the things that I think of when I think of dogs. Well, this week, our family chose to foster two puppies starting from, from Wednesday evening until an adoption event today. And I couldn't have been more excited. I think my vision of life is now going to be complete. We're going to have these dogs. And when they came home, when, when my wife brought them home in the cage, I could not have been more excited. I was beaming. Well, within the first 30 minutes, the dogs went to the bathroom five times, both kinds, in the house. They started chewing on everything. They were running all over the house, doing all sorts of things, and they continued to do that for the next three or four days. And at one point, I looked at my wife and I said, I have severely misunderstood what it means to have a dog. And she says, yes, yes, you have. <laughs> well, the reality is this crowd really misunderstood what Jesus was all about. It says in verse 12, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of 
Israel. You see, on this first Palm Sunday, Jesus' ministry had once again reached a fever pitch. It had once again uh, reached one of its climaxes where people were following him all over the place. You see, this was the very end of his three years of ministry, and the people had seen him do all sorts of incredibly remarkable things. It was the Passover feast, so the area had swelled from about 50,000 people to about 120,000 people who'd gathered into Jerusalem just to celebrate uh, the Passover feast. And as Jesus begins to enter Jerusalem himself, this huge crowd gathers around him and they start to cheer him on. They start to sing his praises. They even remember an ancient prophecy that you can read about in Zechariah 9 that says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey. You see, they rolled out the red carpet for Jesus as if he was an incredible celebrity. They waved palms, which were a sign of of Jewish nationalism because they believed that Jesus was here to do something unique. They shouted Hosanna, which means save us now. They shouted that as Jesus came into the town. And many scholars believe that the people that were cheering on Jesus that day were the very people that had just seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. And they believed that this was their moment. So they began to shower praises on Jesus. But the question is, Did they really understand what Jesus was entering into Jerusalem to do? Because many people also believe that this very same crowd, these very same people, these very same voices would just days later be yelling for Jesus to be crucified. So what is it that turned this friendly crowd into a hostile mob? What is it that turned these people from saying Hosanna on Sunday to saying crucify him on Friday? And the answer is because they misunderstood what Jesus really did come to do. Richard Lovelace said this. He said, every four years, the American people elect a new president with the hope that somehow this will make things better. Economic downturns, crop failures, and moral declines, and worsening international conditions are all blamed on presidents, who in most cases have little control over such events. In the hearts of the people is a groping, an inarticulate conviction that if the right ruler would only come, the world would be healed of all its wounds. Creation is headless and desperately seeking for its head. You see, these people that were singing Jesus' praises, these people believed that their waiting was now over. They believed that the tyranny of the Romans that they believed they were suffering under was now over because they believed that Jesus was riding into Jerusalem to become the political king that they most deeply wanted. 
He would be the one that was going to come and liberate them from all the political oppression that they had been suffering under for hundreds and hundreds of years. Jesus would now come and solve what they believed to be their greatest problem. Though the reality is they were likely out of touch of what their greatest problem really was. The reality is that we are often just like they are. We want Jesus to come and to solve all of our problems. We want Jesus to give us success. We want him to give us esteem. We want him to give us economic security. And we want him to give us obedient children and spouses who adore us and think we're the greatest thing on the planet. We want Jesus to come and to fulfill all of our dreams. And often when he doesn't, we resent him, just like the people in our story ended up resenting him. One author said this, he said, Palm Sunday is a happy day, a day of flowers and dresses and new shoes. But another message carries a warning about our vision of Jesus as we celebrate. The crowd in Jerusalem had many who understood both the needs of the day and the charismatic power of Jesus. In some fashion, which perhaps they did not entirely understand, they assumed that Jesus and his movement would serve their cause. Their vision of society and Jesus' presence could together make changes they dearly desired. As the gospel story unfolds further, Jesus' failure to satisfy those visions, both religious, political, and social, lead to a cry for crucifixion just one week later. You see, the crowd severely misunderstood what Jesus really came to do. And the reality is, you and I can do the very same thing. We can make the very same mistakes. So what was it that Jesus came to do? What was it that he came to do? If so many people misunderstood, then what was the reality of what he came to do? He did talk a lot about the kingdom and about bringing a new kingdom. But what kind of kingdom was he really speaking of? That brings us to the next thing we observe in our passage. And that is, it, it shows us what the true makeup of Jesus's kingdom is really all about. We begin to get a hint of Jesus's kingdom when we uh, really just look at the story. We begin to realize that he did come to establish a very different kingdom than what most people expected. You see, in the ancient world, when a, a king was enthroned or when he would conquer a region or an area, then he would ride into town to cheers and praises just like Jesus. But often he would ride in on the greatest stallion that the kingdom had to offer with all the regality and pomp and circumstance that would come from a rightful king entering in to take his throne. Only the best would be fit for these ancient kings. But what does Jesus do? Jesus chooses to ride in on a donkey, the humblest of all animals that any person could end up riding on. One author called it the anti-show-of-strength animal, 
And that's what Jesus to, chose to ride in on. He chose to, to come in, in, to issue in a kingdom that isn't marked by regality and pomp and circumstance. But he came to usher in a kingdom that is marked by humility and lowliness and meekness. But make no mistake, he did come to bring liberation. It just wasn't the liberation that was expected by everyone else in that crowd. There's a really powerful image uh, that I always think of on Palm Sunday that you find in Exodus chapter 4. If you know the story of Exodus, you know that God's people, the Hebrews, were enslaved to the Egyptians. They were under an oppressive regime. And God calls Moses, this unique character, uh, he calls him to liberate his people from their oppression. There's a great story in Exodus chapter 3 where Moses is just hanging out in the wilderness and he encounters a, a burning bush where God calls him to this incredible calling of freeing the people from their oppression. And there's this very obscure verse in Exodus chapter 4 that says this. It says, and, and Moses took up his wife and rode into Egypt on what? He rode into Egypt on a donkey. You see, what it tells us is that Moses rode into Egypt to free his people from their physical oppression. But what Jesus does is he frees us from an oppression too. But it's not a political oppression or a circumstantial oppression like the Hebrews. But his kingdom had come to free us from the oppression of something much deeper. From the oppression of sin and death. So Jesus enters Jerusalem to free us from our greatest oppression. To meet us at our greatest, most intimate need. Now, you and I can all sit here and all think about things in our lives that we need. But ultimately, every one of us sits here with having the greatest need of needing to be freed from the oppression of sin in our lives. Because until we are freed from that oppression, it will end up only enslaving us and leading us to spiritual death. Some of you may come here every week and you might sit here uh, in City Church and you might wonder why every sermon ends up the same way. Can't City Church get another message that makes things a little more interesting? Why don't we talk more about uh, social injustices or societal ills? Why don't we preach more sermons about tips for living a healthy life, for enjoying relationships? And, and those things are all really very important but the reason we don't focus on that, the reason every sermon doesn't end with some other climax is because the reality is our greatest issue is not that we lead unhealthy lives. Our greatest issue is not the societal ills that we suffer under. And you might be sitting here and suffering under a great injustice in your life. And it might be very difficult and very harsh to live under. But those things are not your greatest problem. Your greatest and your biggest problem is the oppression of sin in your life. You see, Jesus didn't come ultimately so you can have a nice moral system or a healthier life or even a better quiet time. He came to deal 
with your greatest problem. He came to breathe life into your spiritual deadness. He came to break the chains of spiritual death that bind each and every one of us. He came to solve our greatest problem, even though we may not even realize that that is our greatest problem. He is a king who came to establish a kingdom that puts sin and death underneath his feet. And this is the kingdom that you and I are invited into. It's the only kingdom that truly provides eternal life. So we've seen in our passage that the crowd misunderstood Jesus. And we also see the true nature of his kingdom in this passage. But finally, we see one last thing. We see the mind of Christ in this passage. In 1999, I think it was, uh, a, a, a group of filmmakers came out and decided to make a film out of one of uh, Stephen King's novels. And the film was called The Green Mile. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. It's one of my favorite movies. But what it does is it focuses on um, a, a prison and it focuses on uh, certain prison inmates and their guards uh, and these prison inmates live on the Green Mile, or they live in, uh, on death row. And what the movie does is it begins to zero in on the psychology of not only the guards as they help these men face death, but it also uh, zeroes in on the psychology of these men as they begin to face the reality that their lives are going to be ended soon for the crimes that they have committed. And each one of them, each day, has to stare at this green linoleum floor. It might not be linoleum, but they have to stare at this green floor, this green path that they know eventually they will have to walk all the way to their deaths. Well, in Luke, in the Luke account of this Palm Sunday story, it says this. It says that when he, Jesus, drew near and saw the city the city of Jerusalem, it says he wept over it. This is what makes this passage so powerful in my mind. Because you see all these people around Jesus cheering and praising and celebrating his arrival, yet Jesus himself is weeping, both internally and externally. It makes us ask the question, what made him so emotional? What made him weep in that moment? And of course, we don't know for sure, but we can guess. It could have been that he was weeping over all the people that he knew would reject him. It could have been because so many of those people, even though they were celebrating him, he truly knew that they misunderstood what he was there for. It could be because he knew that even his closest disciples, his closest friends in that moment were going to be scattered away from him just days later. But it had to be at least partially because he knew that that road that he was walking on was the road that would lead to his death. The road that would lead to his execution. Henry Nouwen said that the core message of Jesus is that real joy and peace can never be reached while bypassing suffering and death, but only by going right through them. 
See, the only way for you and I to be freed from that deep oppression that we feel because of sin, the only way for our debt to be paid before a holy God, the only way for you and I to taste freedom and victory in life, the only way for you and I to experience life and to experience it abundantly would be because he had to walk through the path of death on our behalf. And in walking this road, he would establish his kingdom, the true kingdom. But this king's greatest victory would not come in pomp and circumstance and celebration. But his greatest victory would come in his humbly laying down of his life for you and for me. You see, this is the king that we may not always want day in and day out. But he is the king that we most desperately need. And the question is, this Palm Sunday, have you tasted of his kingdom? Have you tasted of the life that he came to give? Have you tasted just a sliver of that eternal life?